So for those of you that don't know, um, especially those of you that are here for your first time, uh, I am not the guy you normally have to listen to. Oh, I'm sorry, that you normally get to listen to. There we go. That's, that's better. Uh, that would be Jim Hammond. I am not he. Uh, I'm Doug Bridge, family ministry pastor, and it's my pleasure this morning to uh, kick off a new sermon series. It's called Divine Direction. Um, today we're going to be looking at the power of decisions. I thought it was interesting that oftentimes our, uh, whatever this stuff is called, our graphics, it's usually in colors I can discern pretty well. I'm not colorblind, but I'm color deficient. And so I told the guys I thought they were just picking on me, you know, putting red up there. And then they said, it's not red, it's orange. It's like, like I said, I really appreciate the fact that you put red up there. So anyway, um, since we're going to be looking at decisions together this morning, I remembered that no matter how much you say, sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words, right? So we are about to see in less than two minutes the equivalent of 22,000 words. You ready? Here we go. Great decision. Good use. Good use. Yeah, some of you are starting to catch on. There's, there's, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Three letters. Wrong. Bad choice. There we go. That's actually pretty clever, but I wouldn't want to be the guy at the top. I want to know what happens when the tree does come down. Okay, that's a tough one. And wait a minute, that's not supposed to be there. That chubby guy in the middle looks awfully familiar to me. That's in Mexico, though. So this guy, you know, that's not too bad. I mean, he's brave, right? Let's see how brave he is. Yeah. This next one, I'm pretty sure, is Photoshop. But that guy's, no matter where he is, he's out there working on his air conditioner. And you're pretty sure his mask isn't going to catch fire, right? Somebody forgot to bring the vacuum in with him onto the elevator. Just the cord made it, apparently. And no explanation necessary. That one always gets everybody. I love that one. Okay, and then there's these two guys. There's a lot of trust. Photoshop. Photoshop, don't worry. It's Photoshop. But it does make an impact. The, this guy in the striped shirt must trust those people. And if you ever need shade and you're on a job site. There you go. If you're wondering how I got the picture out of your garage, or maybe yours doesn't look as bad, maybe it looks like this, I guarantee, I hope anyway, I guarantee that you've never done this with flip-flops. Do you see the flip-flops in there that are causing the power strip? To, and this guy used, hey, he used two two-by-fours. It's gotta be safe. And speaking of two, if one forklift isn't big enough, and it doesn't always happen with modern equipment. Sometimes a bad decision is just a bad decision. Okay, so now you're all engaged a little bit. Good. So you're with me. You understand clearly decisions carry with them weight. You know, they, each poor decision we make, there's a ripple effect. And so for our focus this morning, to be reminded that the decisions that we make today they determine the stories that are ours tomorrow. Um, sometimes those stories are funny. You know, well, look what I survived. Uh, you know, but then there's that whole thing about, you know, reading tombstones and the ones that say his last words were, watch this. Um, so 
in, in this whole thing of making decisions, we recognize pretty clearly that not only decisions are sometimes difficult to make, but sometimes the consequences of those decisions are really, really long and far-reaching. And when we're dealing with the kinds of questions that we are, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're six years old or 60 years old or beyond. We all have huge decisions that we face daily. And those decisions determine what's going to happen next. Um, God, what do you want me to do with my life? God, are you even there? And if you are, what do I do about that? Um, God, how am I going to get through this? I, I never saw this coming. Or God, I can't believe I did that and now I'm stuck and I don't know that I can get myself unstuck. What do I do? How can I possibly go on from here? Which almost brings us to our first point. Almost. For those of you that like points, if you've got your, yeah, okay, you've got your message notes out. Uh, there are no numbers on that page and it's just sort of all over the place. You know, kind of like people's decisions. <laughs> Point the gun in the general direction, pull the trigger, and hope you hit something that resembles a target. Uh, but by the end of things, hopefully, that page will make a little more sense to you. Um, all of the, th the letters that are floating around the outside, the W's and the H's, those represent, and you're, willing to f you're, you're welcome to fill those in if you'd like, um, with some of the things you might be facing right now, or that you have faced, or that you're not so much looking forward to face, facing, and we're going to fill in those two big W's in the middle as we go on. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 in two different translations. We wonder what God's will is. This is pretty straightforward. God's will is. How about that? I mean, you know what? I don't think you even have to go to seminary for that one. God's will is for you to be holy. And in another translation, so that we can understand the term holy better, we get, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And some of you in the room are going, wait a minute, that was supposed to help me. Sanctification, that's, a, that's like a $25 word. And, and holy, well, God's holy, right? If God's holy and God is who he is, then, I mean, certainly... I can't be holy, and yet it's pretty clear God's will is for you to be holy. Um, over the years, working with kids, uh, I've tried to find ways of explaining some of these $25 words because it's not just that they're a big word, it's that they carry such a heavy weight. And so, I share with you my dynamic illustration. Here you go. Can you see that in the back? In case you're not familiar. It's the one that I keep. The bristles are starting to fall out. It's time to replace that baby. Because even my own toothbrush didn't feel good in there. This is my toothbrush. I've been using it for probably four or five years now. Um, oh, did I mention it's in the office? So how often do I brush my teeth at the office? And you're hoping at least three times this morning, right? Anybody want to borrow it? <laughs> See, now, immediately you're repulsed. Thanks, Jared. I appreciate that, bud. You're a good man. Uh, there's a reason you don't want to use my toothbrush. It's the same reason that after, well, we've been married over 40 years now, Sue and I, 
But there was a time about 20 years ago where you know, we were well into our relationship together and at, at 20, 25 years, I don't think we could have counted even then how many times we've kissed each other, right? I mean, I don't think that shocks anybody in the room. And yet, I remember the morning clearly that I put the toothpaste on the toothbrush, shoved it in my mouth, and as soon as it got in there, it was like, oh, this is wrong. Oh, this is the green toothbrush. (laughs) Mine is the blue toothbrush. And I said, oh, man, are you kidding me? And she looked over at me standing there with her toothbrush coming out of my mouth in my hand and my loving, caring, wonderful wife, my, my perfect helpmate from God looks at me and says, oh, gross. <laughs> at which time she grabs it out of my hand and honest to goodness, she grabs it out of my hand. She goes out to the kitchen. She says, I'm boiling this thing. And then as she looked at it, she goes, never mind. And she threw it in the trash and walked away. It's like, you know what? But I get it because you know what? Her toothbrush is sanctified. That's the meaning of the word. The toothbrush that she has and the toothbrush that I have, they are each sanctified to our use and our use alone. It's set apart. Nobody in this room wants this toothbrush except me. Because it's set apart just for me. And I don't want your toothbrush. Because it's set apart just for you. That's what holy means. And so when God says, I want you to be holy, I want you to be sanctified, it's pretty clear, it's pretty straightforward. He's saying, I want you to be set apart for my use and my use only. Nobody else's. Not even yours. Not even mine. That's a huge difference from what most of us think that relationship with God is about. We just think his expectations of holiness are kind of out there and beyond our abilities, but being set apart for him. At this point, I need to share a story. I've asked for permission to do this. Some of you might know him. His name is Braden Walsworth. Um, Neat neat young man. I was going to call him little kid, but he's not. He's a neat young man. I think he's probably in about fourth or fifth grade. And uh, he's got a little sister, Whitney, his mom and dad, uh, Rick and Tara. They attend our church here on a really regular basis. They're away on vacation this week, so I had to call and text and ask for permission to share this. But Braden is one of those kids you can't help but like, you know? He's, he's cute, he's fun. Quiet enough that the teacher never has to say, hey, knock it off. Um, but he's always ready to, to pay attention and learn something. He treats his little sister sweetly and nicely, which is a big deal, in my book anyway. Um, he's just, he's athletic. Kids like to be around him. He's just, he's that kid. He's just an eight kid. Did I mention he plays football? Okay, well, he plays football. And uh, his team practiced on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We have this really cool thing going on on Monday nights that Braden's been a part of for years called Pulse. And it's, it's a time for six months on Monday nights for an hour and a half 
where kids come in and we just focus on God's word big time. We have some fun doing it. But like this year, we're looking at um, the books of the New Testament and who wrote them and what they're about and why we would even want to know and where we could turn if we were on a certain subject. We're giving them a theme for each book. And our theme this year for the whole program is plaid. So all of you wearing plaid this morning, you get like bonus points or something like that. And if you got a beard and you're giving us the whole lumberjack look, thank you for that because we're doing the plaid and the lumberjack thing together. Um, and so we're obviously having a good time as well. But we're focused on God's word. And just a couple weeks ago, Braden's football coach let all the guys know on the team that the Tuesday-Thursday practice was switching to Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And now Braden's at a crossroads, isn't he? And his family is, you know, doing what all families have to do. You, you try to balance it. Um, I, don't, I don't want to interject myself into anybody's family. I had a family of my own, and that was difficult enough, and I understand all the dynamics that, that are working there, but... You know, I wanted my kids to have an experience in sports so that they'd see if they enjoyed it or not. Um, I, I wanted to make sure that, you know, they got some music exposure, and um, my son wanted to make sure I said that my daughter got dance classes, not that both my kids got dance classes. <laughs> Although I think he took ballroom dancing at one point, so that was cool. Um, want our kids to have that, but we also wanted to make sure that they got a grounding in God's Word, that they had actually had the tools to move on in life. Here's a scary thought. I've heard this too many times. Oh, we don't take our kids to church because you know, we want, want them to make their own decision. Okay. Um, how do you make a decision not based on anything? And, and so, so Braden's family is facing this, this quandary. Can I, an aside there, I'm... I'm doing it in a side. Do you know that, that families have, they estimate, about 3,000 hours a year with their kids? Now, obviously, as your kids get older, that diminishes a little bit. And when they're younger, it's probably increased a little bit. But parents have about 3,000 hours a year to pour into their kids whatever it is they want to pour into them. And I'm not saying sports are a bad thing or that music lessons are a bad thing. I mean, you see these guys up here this morning? That's exciting. I mean... I'm glad we bought him a guitar, all right? So in, in those settings, though, parents have 3,000 hours, and if you're bringing your kids to church, and you come every single Sunday, every single week, and you bring your kids so that they can go to children's church, you know that instead of 3,000 hours a week, we get 26 hours a year. I'm sorry, did I say a week in there somewhere? My bad. 3,000 hours a year for parents, 26 hours a year for children's church. <laughs> and I'm supposed to be a spiritual leader in their lives with 26 hours a year? You know who the spiritual leaders are, right? Biblically, it's the parents. Yes, it's the parents. They're, and my job is to come alongside and try to give as many tools and experiences as I can so that the families can spend that 3,000 hours, some of them focused on God and his word and, and, and have the opportunity to make good decisions. And... And so Pulse gives us another hour and a half a week for six months. So then we wind up, you can do the math later if you want, but it's, it's around 60 hours a year. We more than double our possibility for impact. But the cool thing about Pulse is that it's not what happens here for an hour and a half. It's that the kids take home sections of scripture 
And as a family, we're hoping that they're working on that together. And they're hiding God's word in their heart, which is right out of scripture. So, so Braden had to make this decision. And bless his heart, you know what he told his coach? Uh, coach, I understand, but I'm not gonna be able to show up on Mondays. You know, and in my head, I'm going, what? A young man made that decision at that young age? Are you kidding? Because you know what's gonna happen, right? When he gets to practice on Wednesday, the other guys are gonna say, Braden, where were you? Did you forget we had practice on Monday? Where were you? And then he's gonna have a decision to make. Oh, well, my parents said I couldn't. Or, well, you know, I've got this thing that I, I do. It's uh, really important to me. And it's on Monday nights, so I can't be here on Monday. What could be more important? God. Can you imagine the impact that has? So would you please be praying for Braden? And for all the rest of the kids in this church and all the other families that have kids in this church, because those kinds of decisions are being made on a daily basis. And I'm not saying that football and all that stuff isn't good. I'm just saying it doesn't have eternal value. Well, it prepares you for life. Okay. I got something that prepares you for afterlife. Ooh, I got to write that down because that worked out pretty well. So our first thing, the first big W in there is who. Because God, God is interested in who we are. And it's the who before the do. We're constantly asking God questions like, what do I do next? How am I going to, what do you want me to? And instead, we should be asking the question, God, who do you want me to be? Not just that I'm Doug Bridge, but that I'm a child of God and that that carries with it amazing ramifications. And if I focus on that who and actually work on who I am in Christ, some of the decisions become much easier. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 together. Have you forgotten that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Now, we're talking to people who've accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And if you've not done that, don't let this freak you out. Okay, this isn't you yet, yet. But if you accept Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us, who lives in you, and that you are not the owner of your own body. Other translations say you are not your own. Whoa. I hope that's not news to too many of you. But I'm not mine. I don't belong to me anymore. And here's the reason. You have been bought. And at what a price. What was that price? Say it. Thank you. Yes. You can say Jesus' name in church. It's okay. All right? It's all right. It's one of three answers we always get from kids anyway. They know it's either Jesus, Bible, or go to church. And that should be an answer. It's interesting the questions they give that an answer to. But anyway, um, therefore, bring glory to God, both in your body and your spirit, for they both belong to him. So why do we need to ask for God to give us direction? Because I'm not mine. I am his child. Uh, recently, my wife Sue and I went and visited some friends in Southern California that we've known for 40 years, and um, it's been a long time. We met each other as teenagers, and we still get together with them, and they're just, 
the most wonderful godly influence in our lives, and we hope that we're that for them. But we were visiting, and we were staying at their home, and uh, obviously we get all the guest facilities, and I won't tell you which room I was in, but Karen, the hostess, had, had this little thing on the wall, and I got many, many opportunities to sit down and ponder those words on the wall. Um, some middle of the night, some early morning hours. Yes, it was that room. Um, and here's what that sign said right here. It said, live in such a way that those who know you but don't know God will come to know God because they know you. And I, many opportunities to ponder that one. I thought, man, that's profound. I mean, that's like Hobby Lobby profound, you know? It's really, really good stuff. And when I came home, I really wanted to know how they came up with that. I, I Googled it, and I checked it out a little bit, and sure enough, you know, they, they're not that clever. You can write this down and look at it later. Philippians 127, yeah, they cheated. They ripped it right out of that verse, you know? They just took Scripture and put it in a cool, catchy little thing and put it on the wall. But I was proud of them for doing that. And it made me think about how if I am who I'm supposed to be, then I will be able to do the things God wants me to do. And when I am who I'm supposed to be and I'm doing what God wants, other people are going to see that. And hopefully, they'll want what I have. Speaking of Bible verses, let's move along to Proverbs 16.2. In two different translations, it says, People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. That's the New Living Translation. And the New Century Version says, You may believe you're doing right, but the Lord will judge your reasons. Now, I hope you recognize that I just made this harder, right? That wasn't my intention. I actually didn't make it harder at all. I'm just reading it to you. That means even if we do figure out what we're supposed to do and we do make a good decision, we can actually be wrong. Because we could be doing it for all the wrong reasons. And God's looking at our heart and saying, it's a who question again. And it's also, and this is your second W, it's a why question. Why are you doing it? You see, if I'm up here this morning sharing with you and my why is because I love Jesus and I want to share that love I have for Jesus and I, not just the love I have for him but the, the great way that he treats people and the plan that he has for us and if, if that's why I'm up here, then that's a good why. If I'm up here because I want you to see my new shirt and, and I want you to know how cool I am, all that in a bag of chips, man, obviously way too many bags of chips but... Be that as it may, this idea of our motives is huge. And so that's the second W. So you've got a who and a why. And those need to be at the center of all of our other decisions. We can't ask the what's, the how's, the where's, not before we focus in on who we are and why we're going to do what we're going to do. Our answer, hopefully, is that we're going to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ from the things that we do. Let's look at Colossians 3, 16 through 17. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. 
sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. See, if that's, if that's my motivation to be a representative of Christ, if it's my motivation to do everything I do out of a thankful heart and in the process thanking God for what he does do in my life, then this next verse becomes a little easier to deal with. Galatians 1.10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That whole thing of who is it I'm trying to please, it's God and it's him alone that I need to focus my attention on so that my decisions reflect that relationship with him and so that my decisions are based on and motivated by my love for him and my, my desire to do what he has for me to do. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. When you do things, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than to yourselves. Do not be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. Wow. You mean I'm not the center of the universe? If God is the center of my universe and my who I am is tied up in the great I am, and if I'm seeking to try and make sure that my motives are pure before him, then my life and the things that I do and the things that I say and even the things that I think can be impacting me and the people around me in an eternal way. We're going to close with a prayer. It's really a prayer designed for those of you that have accepted Christ as your Savior. And even if you haven't got it perfect yet, man, join the club. That's why it's from wherever you are. That's all of us from wherever we are to where God wants us to be. But if this prayer doesn't fit with you because you don't have that relationship yet with Christ, that's okay. I submit to you that perhaps finding out more about that relationship with Christ would be a great way to start this week off. So I'm going to ask you to pray it. You can pray it out loud if you'd like. I read kind of weird, so good luck going along with me. But if you just want to do it silently, let's pray this prayer together as a way of committing ourselves to God who he wants us to be and why our lives are important to him. God, I'm so thankful for your patience. I seem to forget sometimes who I am in you. Please help me remember your great mercy and the huge price Jesus paid for me. Because of this, I am not only counted as your child, but I am no longer my own. I am yours. I am to be set apart for your use and your use alone. Help me remember 
that it is only your approval that matters. God, I don't want to be selfish or eager to impress others. Please help me to humbly serve others and honor them above myself. If that's your prayer this morning, good. Keep praying it. If it's news to you and there are perhaps decisions in your life that are overwhelming you, we're going to have a prayer team over here. And they would love to support you in prayer. If talking to God is not your thing yet, that whole relationship thing is interesting but not quite yet yours, I know they'd love to talk to you over there too. Next week we're going to be talking about part two of Divine Direction. I hope you join us again. And uh, as you head out, be a toothbrush for Jesus.